You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Welcome to the GFR Podcast. This is Lisa Cherney. I am your host, and I have a question for you. Do you feel like you are living a double life? So I want you to think about this and all the different sort of things that it could mean. Like I remember when I was in corporate America and I was doing a lot of spiritual development work, I felt like I was living a double life because I would all day long, I'd be in corporate, talking the corporate speak. And in my mind, I was like turning my will over to the care of God. And I was, you know, trying to look at the divine design and everything. And I had this sort of spiritual focus, but I would never breathe a word about that in corporate. So our guest today, Maureen Vicente, was living a double life. She was a hazardous waste officer. <laughs> and the way she talks about it, she's like steel-toed boots and, you know, overalls, uh, uh, which is call them uh, flame retardant overalls and, you know, all day long. And then she was, by, by evening, uh, she was obsessed with researching health and nutrition. And this obsession was kicked off when her mom was diagnosed with cancer when she was a freshman at college and then died only four years later. And she, she just had to figure out, you know, how that happened and her whole scientific nature kicked in and then it also kicked in eating disorder. And we will learn about what does orthorexia mean and then we will learn um, about her journey from that EPA and she even had a stint with NASA scientists um, to her obsession with researching health and how now she is a transformative health coach. Um, she's been doing that for the past 17 years now. That was her double life, right? She was like hazardous waste by day and nutrition expert. It's just amazing what we do when we have a passion for something. Can't wait for you to meet her. You will learn a lot about my own personal history with um, my eating disorder and how that has served me and and a bit about what I'm doing now when it comes to um, how I live and eat and, and all that good stuff. And, and she, we even do a, a special segment um, for our GFR squad members where I basically uh, ask her the question, why does intermittent fasting and what I'm doing right now in terms of how I'm eating, why does it work for me? And so she breaks down the science and she's super smart and she talks about myths. So that's in our 
GFR Squad bonus segment. So if you're not a GFR Squad member, and that is of interest to you in general to be in this GFR journey and put some skin in the game, or if you specifically just have an interest in diving deeper um, with Maureen's expertise, that is more in our sort of after the show um, special squad clips that we do. So go to gfr.life forward slash squad, y'all. It's just, it's really super inexpensive. It starts at 20 bucks a month. Um, so without further ado, let's meet Maureen and hear about how she went from hazardous waste to nutrition obsession. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the GFR show. It is Maureen Vicente is with us, and I am super excited to have her on the show. Y'all are not even going to believe that she used to work in hazardous waste. <laughs> You're just and and those of you that get to see her, you're certainly not going to believe that she ever used to work in hazardous waste. Welcome to the show, Maureen. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to have you. And uh, even in preparing for the interview, I learned some stuff. So I'm excited to share what I learned with our audience. And so we're going to share your GFR wormhole story, and we are going to um, you're going to take us on a journey. And let's start with, though, let's start with the hat. I already tipped your hat. <laughs> I'm just so fascinated by the fact that you uh, worked in hazardous ways for the EPA and, you know, and we're going to really get to your after story. So take us, take us through the before. <laughs> yeah. So the before is I started, I've always just been obsessed with like science and, and knowing how things work and research. And like, I think I'm part robot. I mean, my brain just works in formulas, numbers, patterns. Uh, I've had to learn to be more social as I've gotten older. <laughs> and I, I went to UCLA and I was originally pre-med and my mom was uh, diagnosed with cancer at that point. And so I realized kind of with the medical industry and just the gaps in it, I didn't, I didn't really want to be a doctor anymore. And I decided that, you know, rocks and planets and stars were a lot safer than people. And so I just got sucked into astrophysics and geology and then ended up going into that career path. And I, I don't think I thought it through all the way. I think I just thought, one day, I don't even know what I thought career-wise, but I just loved earthquakes and volcanoes and plate tectonics and all of this theoretical stuff. And I think I thought maybe I'd be in Hawaii in a bikini collecting lava samples as a full-paying job. And I didn't realize until I graduated that pretty much the only thing for geologists to do is to go into petroleum exploration and live on an offshore, you know, drill rig or go into a uh, slope stability for construction or then hazardous waste remediation and cleanup basically. And that is where all the job offers were. I felt grateful at the time because all my friends who were graduating in 2008, kind of in the crash, had a really hard time getting jobs. And I had about six job offers before I even graduated for all of these different environmental consulting companies. And then off I went and I ended up, you know, working 60 hours a week in different hazardous waste facilities or oil refineries or contaminated sites wearing a fire retardant jumpsuit and steel-toed boots and a hard hat and you know breath detection monitors and sometimes I had to wear full-on respirators um wow yeah it was just very attractive sounds very sexy <laughs> uh, you know what, was, what actually was like 
what is really hysterical because at a lot of the refineries, there are about 400 employees, probably only four of which were female. One, maybe two of which were probably heterosexual. And so, I mean, you, you stand out like a sore thumb, but you can't really see anyone under all that stuff. I mean, maybe my ponytail <laughs> out of this thing. And otherwise it's like a potato sack, but these guys were just like, relentless and cat calls and this, I'm like, you can't even see me. Like you can't even see what I look like under here. You know, I don't know. It was, it's like the suggestion of a female, <laughs> just the idea. Of it was. Yeah, it was, there. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was definitely a unique situation for sure. I, I just was like always thinking, is this really my life? Is this what I got my college degree to do? Like, I don't understand what it is that I'm, do- <laughs> I'm doing here, but off I went every day. And so how long did you, how long were you, um, doing that? So this was until uh, pretty much a decade and it changed, like had a research job for NASA for a while, which was cool. Then different environmental consulting companies, but it ended up when I lived in Idaho, that was my last, my last job, which is the title that you mentioned. My official title was the hazardous waste science officer. And it was like sometimes in the dead of winter, minus 20 degrees outside, wind chill. I was driving a, you know, state vehicle truck out to a hazardous waste landfill over sheets of ice, like getting out of my car with my clipboard and making sure that nothing was leaking and labels matching. And that was up until beginning of 2016. (laughs) Okay. So, so there, so, so that you were living a parallel life though. So you like by day you were hazardous waste officer, oil refineries, you know, the only woman around. Um, and you started to develop like, so, so there was a significant thing that happened to you in 2002 and then kind of, you know, um, then later in 2006 so sort of like this, you know, it's like a, we're, we're sharing like a parallel story here. So there's like, you know, Maureen, the hazardous waste officer, yeah. you know, and, and then, then you would strip off your, you know, um, amorphous clothes. <laughs> yeah. And, and who were you by night? <laughs> yeah. So my heart, my passion, like what made me so excited and still does like my calling is health and wellness. And what started all of that was my mom's diagnosis with cancer. My freshman year in college, she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer and it shocked our whole family because she never had a weight issue. We thought she was the epitome of health. She was 55, looked so great for her age, was a flight attendant, super active. She had the genetic testing done and it came back negative. So that's when I, like with that science brain, with me being on the pre-med track at the time, I was like, okay, something environmental caused this. And I got obsessed. Like I need to figure out what caused it, why she got cancer so I can save her, also prevent me and my sister from getting cancer. And then just went down the research rabbit hole of preventive medicine, nutritional therapy, you know, all sorts of things like that. She ended up passing away anyway, four years later. And it's hard. I still often think, gosh, if I knew then what I know now, like, would it have been different, you know, but um, I just can't think that way. So she ended up passing away. But then also kind of what ended up happening to me at that time was getting obsessed with all this nutritional research 
I don't totally understand exactly how it happened, how it went from being focused around health and positive things and prevention to full-blown eating disorder and obsession, but it did. It did. It crossed, it crossed some sort of threshold, I would say, in about 2003. And I just was paranoid that everything that I was going to eat was going to give me cancer. I was just, and I kept losing weight. And then I was also getting positive feedback from everyone in my life from, oh, you look so good. And my mom's side of the family is the whole, oh, you can never be too rich or too thin, you know, sort of people and never. um, And I remember too, I mean, I, I had to forgive my mom, obviously, because I know her intent wasn't bad. But there, the first time I was aware of my body was probably when I was 16. I went away to boarding school and I put the freshman 15 on at boarding school because, you know, we didn't have refrigerators and we had endless opportunity for junk food in our rooms and hot plates that we could make ramen with. And um, I was an athlete. So I was always super lean as a kid, I think, until I went through puberty. And then my body just didn't get away with it anymore. And so I gained all this weight and I came home for a summer break and she told me that I looked six months pregnant and she started teaching me how to count calories. And she said, you know, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to get a boyfriend if you are heavier and a lot of this. So that was the first time I remember having awareness around my body and like some sort of concept, but it didn't, it didn't really affect me other than me feeling like Clifford, the big red dog. I mean, I was like five foot nine and just like heavier. And, you know, I was never the girl that all the guys in high school liked or thought was cute or in college, I wasn't the one getting asked out by the fraternity boys. So there was kind of, I guess that going on under the surface, maybe that then allowed this new nutritional obsession and research to kind of take hold and turn into some full blown body dysmorphia, disordered eating thing that then over the years just morphed. I think I was orthorexic at the time, which I I only found out about that diagnosis about four years ago. I think it's a newer eating disorder. So that's definitely what was going on with me at the time, but I didn't know it. Like people just thought I was anorexic. I was losing weight. I kind of looked like Skeletor. Then I was so anorexic for so long that I started binge eating and then I got really good at throwing up. So then I was like, you know, bulimic for a while. I mean, it just changed like crazy, which was, and also another double life. You talk about double lives. I had like the refinery double life. Then I had, you know, here I'm this functional nutritionist. I'm starting to get all of these certifications. So then it's like knowledge doesn't equal behavior change. So I'm the best advice giver on the planet. And then I feel like I also have this secret, like I can't also get out of my own way, like a, you know, imposter syndrome. Like I'm a total fraud because I'm healing everyone else for free, friends, coworkers, family, And then I've got this like other thing that is still haunting me, hating myself, hating my body, can't follow my own advice, you know? So there was a lot of that going on, you know? Yeah, that's a lot. And the woman who kind of planted some of these ideas in you about being mindful of your body and that you're not going to get a boyfriend and you look like you're pregnant now is dying and you're trying to you know, under the guise of, I want to help her. I want to heal her. I want to acknowledge, you know, I'm a researcher, so I'm going to research the heck out of this thing and, you know, and help her and help my sister and I, it just like coalesced in a terrible way, you know, with the, with the eating disorder, it sounds like. Totally. And I think that was, I'm such the person that feels like I need the evidence and I need to know exactly why something happened so that I can fix it. Like I'm so 
you know, results are solution oriented. And it still baffles me. I had to let it go because I look back and I'm like, I still don't understand. Like, I just remember being normal with food and then being sick. And I don't remember how it, you know, kind of how the cucumber turned into the pickle. Like, I don't remember the pickling process. I just know it was one way and then it ended up being another. And then I also, you know, at different periods in my life too, just seemed to be like fine again, you know, and it would just like, I would just oscillate in and out of various forms of disordered eating habits or experimenting with different things. I basically have been using my body as a science experiment for the last 17 years now, which has worked out really well for me with what I'm able to do for myself and others now. But not all of that experimentation was always coming from a positive place, I guess I could say. Well, and I think that's that's not abnormal, right? Like like the stories that we tell on the show, people have been through crazy shit, you know, some by, by their own design, some would say, you know, external things imposed on them, and certainly not all under the oh, this is like the perfect experience and education that I need to have in order to get me to where I want to go. It's like, it's, it's almost, it is like we need to have these GFR wormholes. You know, I, I'm calling it struggle with a purpose. Like yeah. that it's, it's right. You, you, now you're, a, um, you know, a master at helping people transform through nutrition and one, your wormhole credential, your wormhole certification credential of having gone through that journey yourself is absolutely directly relevant. So, you know, as a scientist, you know, you can understand the data gathering <laughs> perspective of it, but from a, you know, a logic of trying to understand the a disease of eating disorder, um, it must be very frustrating. Yeah. And I, I think that was the biggest thing for me that I, I still get to learn and I can really help the people that I, you know, my clients that I coach too, is like the knowledge doesn't equal behavior change, right? Cause if it did, all of the world's problems would be solved in two seconds with Google. Right. You know, so there comes a point where it's like, I'm a master at knowledge acquisition. I love it. I geek out on it. My idea of fun on a Friday night is sitting at home with my cats, like researching autoimmune disease. Like I live for that, but that doesn't, you know, it, it, it which is exactly like with my career. Like I stayed stuck in that hazardous waste science officer role for so long, hating my life being miserable. Cause I didn't know how to turn like all of my obsession, knowledge and passion into anything else. You know, there's not, there's the lack of implementation and it's the same thing with food. It's like, you can know what you need to do, but like our human brains get in our way. They create so much chaos. So it's not just about knowing what to eat or not to eat. It's how do I implement it? How do I love my body? I mean, that's a lot of my eating disorder journey to heal from. And I think a lot of people look at me And until they get to know me or maybe are on my newsletter and hear my story or something like that, I've heard interviews I've done, they say, oh, what do you know? You can't help me. You're, you're skinny, you're this, you're healthy. And it's like, I didn't always look like this. You know, they don't know the before. Does it mean that you're healthy? Right. Does it mean totally? Like I didn't always look or feel this way. I didn't always treat my body this way. hundred percent. And I always tell people it is a blessing now. You're right. Because a lot of people that I know do have some of the disordered eating stuff and isn't just like, oh, I'm hiring you to help me with my celiac disease, where it is a little bit of a food addiction or self-hate. I always tell them like, look, whatever you think you can do with food, I promise you I've done it times 10. There is nothing that you can possibly say to me that is going to shock me or have me judge you, you know? So it is this beautiful space, I guess, with everything that I've been through that I'm able to create to like, just totally 
hold space for other people and be empathetic. And it's like, and so many more people struggle with this than I think we're really talking about with body image issues with shame. And you can't judge a book by its cover. I mean, men also deal with it too. It's not just a female thing. It's not just a, you know, a certain socioeconomic status or race or it's so widespread, you know, but there's hope too, you know? Yes. It's super widespread. And, um, and I've been waiting to insert my own personal story. I do want to say we have, um, episode 15 with Sabrina Truscott. Um, and she, you know, it's called anorex from anorexic actress, unapologetic artist and businesswoman. And you see her, she, we talked about how she looks like Barbie. She's like, you know, so stereotypically, you know, beautiful. And she was tormented right? Tormented. And, you know, my own personal story I'll insert here is that um, I was an overeater. That was like how my eating disorder manifested. And I probably had the overeating tendency my whole life. And when I was in college, um, I didn't gain the freshman 15. I gained the freshman 50. And I'm not exaggerating. And then I had this awesome boyfriend who really loved eating with me. So that was really convenient. Um, and I was just talking the other day about how the, the, my most favorite thing to order when I was in college was a chicken Parmesan, you know, in the middle of the night. And, you know, it's like, you, you know, you could laugh at, you know, laugh at the behaviors. And, um, but for me, college was that crucible, you know, and funny, I'm just realizing, Maureen, we have this parallel, um, mom with cancer thing. Cause my mom had cancer when I was a junior in high school. So just a few years before that. And, um, and that was so confronting for me and my mortality. And I believe going away to school, she had gone through chemo and her mastectomy and all that by the time that I was going away to college. And I just, I didn't have the coping skills and food was my friend, you know, and so I was in um, Overeaters Anonymous, which is a 12-step program for eating disorder. And it's for all of the different ways it manifests. And I remember the skinny girls that were at the meetings, I would be pissed off at them. It's like, what do you know? You know? And then I you know, quickly realized that everybody was being tormented in their own you know, special way you know, around um, using food to, um, you know, deal with feelings and fears and manage stresses and cover up trauma and, you know, all the ways that it expresses. So, um, so I, I feel you, I, we have parallel stories in, in many ways. And I had never heard of orthorexia. I've like been out of the sort of eating disorder <laughs> conversation for a, a while now. I, I was in OA for through my 20s into my early 30s um, at 12-step programs, I think are fucking gift from God. And uh, I, I just, I can't even imagine the planet without all of the different versions of the 12-step programs. And for me, it got to a point at a certain time where I was like ready to road test all this shit. Like I needed a, <laughs> I needed to like, you know, extract myself and, and learn how to do, do life um, outside of there without that label. For me, that's, that was helpful for me. So, so many of our guests talk about, you know, different addictions because it's, it's, you know, it's like it, it's brilliance. The brilliance of the mission driven entrepreneur is that there's this perf purposeful struggle that we deal with and, and, and it is so integral to, um, you know, how our mission is expressed. So I really appreciate you sharing what you shared. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing yours too. And it's, it's funny you say that about the the judging the thinner girls and stuff too. Cause I went in and out of 
OA meetings for a little bit when I was trying to get help. And it was in a period of time where I was definitely thinner in my fluctuation. And I felt that. And I felt that, but I thought to myself, they have no idea how crazy it is. I said, the only reason I'm not 400 pounds is because I'm so good at throwing up. Like, that's it. Like, that is the only difference is like, you know, because they would share their stories about the bin. I was just like, I'm doing all of that probably. And then some, I just... I just am really, really good at getting rid of it afterwards. Yeah. You know, you know, and there's getting rid of it, throwing up, there's getting rid of it, exercising, right? There's, you yeah, know, I know a lot of people struggle with the laxative stuff too, like all sorts of different ways of purging for sure. Restricting afterwards, like the binging stuff. It's just crazy. It's so sad to me when we think about like all of the other ways that we find to really just like we struggle with ourselves, you know, it's like, and that's one of the things that I decided to years ago. And like, I help all the people that I work with too. It's like, you get to learn how to work with your body versus against it. Like, why is it that we are at war with ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically? Like we just, we are always, oftentimes like we are our own worst enemies, like with whatever the issue is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what is how to get out of their own way? It's amazing. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yes. It's so, oh my God. So freaking true. So what is orthorexia? So the best way that I can describe orthorexia is it's, it's a, instead of being a disorder around like anorexia, which is obsession with calorie counting, like you're so afraid to eat something because it has calories and you want to minimize your calories so that you can lose weight. So that means they're gorging themselves on, you know, sugar-free jello, like diet sodas, like you're still eating to fill your stomach, but it's, it's just calorie as much as possible. Orthorexia is not really a fear around the calories as much as the purity of the food. So I know for me, even though I, it wasn't a thing at the time that I was aware of when my eating disorder first started, the first version of it was, I was afraid of the purity of the food. I wouldn't take a bite of something that I didn't know. I couldn't read the ingredients. I didn't know where it came from. I, um, you know, was just terrified at that point based on the research I was doing that like everything was going to give me cancer. And so I had just, you know, weaned my way down to a few foods and certain things that I thought at the time were safe to eat. It's all about like safety, you know? And then I think it turned more into like a body image thing issue. Cause I was getting such positive feedback with the weight that I was losing, but that wasn't the intent behind it. It was like all about purity, quality, not wanting to get sick, not wanting to get cancer and die. Like my mom was in the process of dying and like that whole thing wrapped up around it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so fascinating how, um, how creative that we could be (laughs) in the ways that we try to control and, and particularly with food and, and, you know, anorexia, that you do have such um, positive feedback. Um, and I, it's actually quite fascinating um, because I, um, let's see, about two years ago, no, let's see, a year ago this past March, I start, so I've had my own journey, right, with food and weight and exercise and finding the way that works for me and not using food and healthy relationship and I can go on and on. And then of course with my body, I share a lot about this in my episode called how um, opening up my marriage juiced up my business. Cause I talk about the transformation of my body image and my sexuality. And, you know, I got married when I was 23, so I didn't have a lot of exploration and, um, 
And it's amazing how now I, my, the, the thing that I have found that works for me the most now, it, and I feel like it's my last stop, I really would like to believe it's my last stop, you know, is I, I love intermittent fasting. I've like found my jam with intermittent fasting. And, and the beautiful part is, it's like if, if, if you're struggling at all, at all with food or, or drink or whatever in the way that you're using it to, to um, soothe your emotions or entertain you or celebrate or whatever, you know, you, your intermittent fasting is not eating. <laughs> so it's like, it takes it, it takes it all off the plate so that you could, so that for me, it brought up any last remaining remnants of the way that I, like I used to love having lunch in the middle of my work day, like totally obsessed over having lunch. And then I stopped eating lunch. I was like, oh, okay, what other ways can I enjoy a break in the day? Does it need to be around food? And um, I, uh, I just, I feel like in intermittent fasting um, coupled with a keto style, not keto crazy, I call it, <laughs> but just a, a keto style of eating. For me, my body loves it. I'm happy. I'm not hungry anymore. I love the intermittent fasting. And since this is a show for business owners, mission-driven business owners, and we're talking about how our whole life um, and anything we're struggling with um, impacts or slows down our mission, like it has, um, it, it was, there's no accident that I found intermittent fasting and the clarity and the confidence and the relief it's given me um, of any last remnants of, of what I think now are just physiological things around food like I am, I am, it, there's no accident that GFR mission was born shortly after, you know, this, that piece of my um, life was healed, you know, around food. And it's like, for people listening, it's like, what is there still to heal? What, what, what addictions, what things are you using? You know, how is that dampening your mission? How is it slowing you down? How is it, you know, well, so we can, I can go on and on about this, but um <laughs> I love that you just shared that. We did not plan this. So I have found total healing, not only from my autoimmune diseases with my science experimentation, everything it's morphed over the years. I was vegan for five years in my twenties when I thought that was going to heal my body, still disorder eating, whatever. Then I found the paleo primal template, which I'm convinced is ideal. Then I found the keto version of that two years ago for me. And then I started ex intermittent fasting. So I am I intermittent fast every day. I only eat one or two meals a day. It has not only healed my body, increased my peak performance, energy, this. I didn't even think I had weight left to lose. I'm like 11% body fat now and I eat three times as many calories as I did when I was vegan. But it's like, I also can go eight to 10 hours without food. I used to be obsessed. Like every two or three hours I had to eat or someone was going to die, which fed that eating disorder part of it too. So I have like psychological and emotional healing around food, eating this way. So it's like, it's so funny that you said that too. Cause I, I, I love the paleo primal template or keto template for everyone or lower carb. Not everyone has to be is I like the high fat part. I have to tell you. <laughs> That's amazing. And Pete, I always tell people when they start working with me, like everything you think you know about nutrition, I'm going to teach you the opposite. It's not eat six small meals a day. Got to keep the metabolic fire going. It's not eat less, move more. Like you actually can be healthier and leaner eating bacon and butter and eggs. Like heart disease is not caused by high cholesterol. People are like, I don't understand. I'm like, you just have to trust <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, it's, and there's so much, it's like, talk about, you know, when we talk about our 12 GFR commandments, we talk about questioning all our thoughts. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And challenging all our stories. And, you know, your favorite commandment you said was number six, have faith in yourself and your mission. And then that confession question is, what would I do differently if I had faith in myself and my mission? And that is all about ch- challenging our stories. Like if I really had faith, I would leave the fucking EPA hazardous waves officer <laughs> position. Right. And I would take this hobby, this obsession that I've had, and I would create something from it. So um, yeah, I love how you talk about challenging, you know, myths around nutrition and what, you know, it's like, especially cause I'm results based. Right. And it's so like, how many times in my life have I looked at something and been questioning it, but been so afraid of finding a different answer. And it's like, but the results are supporting that this is not working just like with the U S it's like, we have never been fatter and sicker as a society and people are still convinced that like the USDA food pyramid, oh no, but I can't eat that fat. I, oh, I'm not going to eat the yolk of that egg. It's going to give me heart disease. It's like, no, it's not. It's not, you know? So it's, that is always funny to me. It's like, let's look at the actual results. And if the results are not showing that the, something's working, then yeah, let's challenge our beliefs and let's have the, the balls basically to try something else that maybe will work. Because what right, we're doing so right now is not working. I love this. Let's transition yeah. challenging and having balls. Let's transition to you leaving the EPA. Yeah. So I um, I moved to Idaho, like I said, for a couple of years. And you didn't then, say. You didn't. You told me earlier. So tell us. Oh, about I did. Yeah. So solution to your problem. Got it. So I was living in California my whole life, born and raised Southern California. I went to UCLA. Was living here. Um, and then I was only making $50,000, which I just could not survive off as a single person. So I had this brilliant idea that I can move to Idaho where it's super cheap to live, work for EPA up there, make the same amount of money, but actually have somewhat of a life, which I did. And it worked and I still hated my job during the day, but I got to, you know, save some money, go to a friend's wedding and do all these other things. And that was great. And then I met, um, my most recent ex about a year into me living up there. I was down in Hermosa beach, visiting my dad, met him. So we did the long distance thing for about a year. And then once things were getting more serious, I decided to sell my house and leave my job and move back to Southern California. So it was this really cool opportunity to basically go down another path. I moved in with him. I had two job offers again in geology, doing the exact same thing. It was the safe thing to do but like something inside of my gut, like I felt physically ill thinking about accepting that job offer. Like I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And I'm grateful that I was with him at the time. Um, not with him anymore. That's a whole nother story, but he was a brilliant businessman that I will give him credit for. And he did create the container and the space and encouragement for me to really pursue this because I didn't. That's why that's my favorite commandment. I didn't have the faith in myself at the time that I could pull this off, but he saw in me from a business standpoint of following my mission and doing what I was really called to do. He's like, you are brilliant at this. This is what you're called to do. This is your thing. Like you get to go do this. And I was like, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to run a business. And he, he really, he helped me. And so that was it. That was April of 2016 which was the big turning point. And I'm telling you like every single time that I struggled in the first couple of years as an entrepreneur, and I don't know how to find people and I don't know how to get clients. I would get this 
flashed in my brain about, do I want to go back to wearing that stupid fire retardant jumpsuit and the hard hat and steel toed boots? And I was like, no, I will figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I, I will figure it out. I'm never going back to doing that ever again, because it just like, you know, it's just not what I'm called to do. And I'm grateful for the eating disorder, the body image issues, the this, my own health struggles, diagnosis, all of that crap that I went through in that 15 year process, because it has all absolutely contributed to me knowing what I know today and being able to really show up for people that I get to help heal and transform and lose weight. And I mean, all sorts of things. So I'm just getting started. Awesome. So what would, what advice would you give somebody who's listening that is in a career that they've invested a lot of time in. They probably have degrees and certifications. They're probably good at it, but they're miserable or they're just aware that this is not where I'm supposed to be. And they're, they're probably listening to the show because you know, they're, they're interested in being an entrepreneur. What advice would you give them that, you know, like kind of like things you needed to tell yourself or, you know, things you needed to overcome in order to make the change? Totally. Of so many things that come to mind, but a few that really helped me was one, you're worth investing in yourself. Like I was always so tight with my money, especially coming from scarcity mindset. I was paycheck to paycheck basically for so long. So like taking that leap of faith, you know, and, and finding mentors or communities of other like-minded people that are driven, that are you know, having success and just surrounding yourself with that type of energy and those people and that type of community and just being open to possibilities, seeing what's possible and just allowing yourself to go for it. And also not attaching, you know, failure to your results. Basically, if you try something, it doesn't work. You just get to try something else, like not get stuck in that beat up or I'm a failure. That was always my big story. Like the perfectionism, sort of loop in my brain and and being afraid to move forward if I didn't understand perfectly how to do it. I can't remember who said this in the the beginning of my entrepreneurial circles. Someone said, sometimes you learn how to fly the plane while you're building it. I'm like, that doesn't freaking make any sense, you know? (laughs) And they said, that's the life of an entrepreneur. You just, you, you, you put one step in front of the other. You don't know what the whole path looks like. So just Hearing a scientist that did not compute. (laughs) No, does still does not compute, but I have learned that I cannot always trust my own thoughts, especially with business, right? You surround yourself with great mentors and, you know, people and, um, and you just go for it. You go for it. If something doesn't work, you try again, but you don't let go of that internal calling and, and desire that you have because that's, that's your gift and that's what you were called to do. And you get to do it. You just get to figure it out and get the support to help you do it. Awesome. Anything else you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I just, I, I think it's just like life is, life is really short and just don't put it off anymore. Like if you know, if you know, it's your time and you know that it's like what you're doing in your life is no longer working for you. Like you just get to change it. Like you get to step into believing in yourself and you just get to move forward and you just get to allow things to unfold for you, you know, when you believe in yourself, but it has to come from you first. It totally has to come from you first and you're, and you're worth it, you know? Yes. So true. It is so true. 
Thank you, Maureen. This was like a fun conversation. We got to go places and I probably confessed some stuff that I hadn't confessed before. Or if you, if you're, this is just your first episode that you're listening to, you might not know my whole backstory. So, you know, I love that we got to go there and talk about that part of our journey. I think it's super, 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 super common for women, um, but not just women, for men as well. Um, you know, uh, our food is, we need food, we need to use, we need to eat, you know, and so uh, the journey with our relationship with that and our bodies and all, and all that is, is a key part of a lot of people's transformation. And for you, it led directly, you know, to your business as a, you know, tran nu transformational nutrition expert. And um, I'm glad that you um, shed your hazardous waste suit so that we got to get to know you in a new way. And uh, so you got to be your new mission in the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. You're welcome. Wow. What a great conversation that was. And I really appreciated the opportunity to share more with you about my backstory and I truly believe that my healing around my relationship with food and exercise and my body, um, really getting it, it's just finding like the last sort of, the last bit of that um, within me this past year really helped birth the GFR mission. So our whole lives contribute to the speed at which we can make impact and income with our mission. I truly believe that. And if you want to keep in touch with Maureen and you want to dive more into your relationship uh, with your body and food, you can um, grab her fat loss workbook. You will discover the real reason you're not losing weight and three tips to get you started towards permanent fat loss today. So there's a link to that in our show notes. And for those of you that are in our GFR squad, we have um, a fun conversation um, really dissecting why what I'm doing now works for me and she uh, busts some myths. I also want to make sure that you drop into the power of the confession and how much courage it brings our guests and how much courage it brings me and how much courage it could bring you. Make sure you have those 12 GFR commandments. Um, Maureen's favorite one was number six, have faith in yourself and your mission. And that confession question is, what would I do differently if I had faith in myself and in my mission? And I ask myself that on a daily basis, like even a moment to moment, if I'm stressing out over not getting something done, I'd say, well, how, what would I do differently if I had faith? Well, I would just not stress as much, <laughs> you know? Um, and then and from a global standpoint, what would you do? Would you quit the job? You know, would you tell your father-in-law that you can't, you know, work there anymore? What would you do? Confessions bring courage. And I want to send you lots of courage because I know that you have important work to do in the world and people that you're supposed to be helping are waiting for you. Subscribe to the show so that you can stay motivated and inspired by all of these stories. All right. Bye-bye for now. See you next time.